because like whenever I hear this tune, I, I don't hear Beethoven. I hear movies, movies, movies. I, there's an ad a long time ago that was like promoting movies. So that, that shows you how much I'm in need of, of a little culture in my life. But um, if, if you're a guest uh, visiting, as, as many of you know, we're, we've been in a series called Songs of Yesterday. And, and what we've looked at in that series are uh, some of the most popular, uh, well-known hymns that, that have ever been written. And we've looked at some of the stories behind those and some of the theology in those because what we all know is when we learn the story behind the music, it changes the way you sing it. Like it changes the way you sing it. And, and for us in the church, singing of the Lord, it changes the way that we worship God. Right? And it transforms our minds in, in a very incredible way. And as, as Philip has already mentioned, just the powerful backstory uh, to Joyful, Joyful, he, he teased this off for us. And, and when I say tease us off, I mean Big Bertha, straight down the middle, 350 yards. Okay? Uh, so so this is, there's a lot of rich, rich melody behind this song. And the writer of Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee is a man by the name of Henry Van Dyke, okay? In case you're, this is on a test later for you, okay? Uh, but he was, he was a Presbyterian minister, so not too far from the family tree, folks. Okay, this is our guy here. So Henry Van Dyke uh, not only was a pastor, but he served as the lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy Chaplain's Corps during World War I. He served as American ambassador to the Netherlands and Luxembourg and was appointed by his friend, President Woodrow Wilson. Anybody ever been friends with a president? I haven't, okay? Uh, moderator to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church. That's a big deal, high government within the church. He was the commander of the Legion of Honor, president of the National Institute of Arts and Letters, chairman of the committee that compiled the first Presbyterian Book of Common Worship. He officiated the funeral of Mark Twain, personal friend of Helen Keller, author of multiple books and short stories. If he were alive today to steal your girl, he could, right? There are, there are people, most people in this world have accomplished one or two impressive things in their life. Henry is one of those guys that just has a full slate of it, okay? So in, in 1907 is when he wrote the words to this song, and to no surprise, it is a song about joy. Uh, from start to finish, right? We've looked at different songs that, that have different themes and each verse kind of touches on a different aspect of God and a different theology of the Lord. Uh, but Joyful, Joyful is, is purely straight down the middle about joy. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And generally, I've looked at, at different verses and brought out some of the meaning. Um, what we'll do today is really just look at the first verse, okay? Because I feel, I feel like the first verse does a great job of summarizing all of it. But, but Henry, in writing these words, compares God to the sun, the S-U-N sun, okay? The center of our solar system, the, 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 the thing that gives light, that gives life to all, create, all creatures. Okay, so here we go. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, you like how I did that? Opening to the sun above. Okay, next line. Let the clouds, melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away, giver of immortal gladness, that's my favorite line of all of it, just it, it, the gladness that it brings, it's, it's, it doesn't die, it's undefeated. 
giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. And so what, what causes flowers to unfold? What causes the clouds to melt away? And to, what causes uh, darkness to be driven out and to be filled with light? It's the sun, right? It's the sun that does all of these things. Um, in that light, he is the giver of immortal gladness. He is the giver of great joy. He is the giver of joy that lasts forever and that never dies. And so not only is this a song lyric, uh, but this is very much a biblical concept as well. That true joy is something given to us by God, right? We, can, we cannot find true joy anywhere else apart from the Lord. Uh, and, and we're often led to believe that at times that, that if we don't have joy in our lives, well, it's kind of on us, that we need, to, we need to have a better attitude, we need to try to do things, we need to be more grateful, we need to be more thankful. And all of that is true. Like, I think that we should have practices in our lives where, where we can sort of stir our hearts and create more joy. But ultimately, it is, it is the true joy given to us by God, we cannot conjure it up on our own. He is the giver of immortal gladness. And so in John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In John chapter 15, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. Okay, this is soon before he is arrested. He's unpacking just tons of things to his disciples. And he describes his father as a vine dresser. And Jesus describes himself as the true vine. And he says that I am the true vine, and he says to his disciples, you are the branches. He says that to his disciples, and he says that to us as well, right? That he is the true vine, that we are the branches, right? And then if we are to be connected to him, if we remain, if we abide in the true vine and obey his word, then we will remain and abide in his love. And he concludes this teaching by saying these very words in, in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, Jesus assumes something here, doesn't he? He assumes that our joy is partial. And are Jesus' assumptions generally correct? Yes, they are. Right? So what, what he's doing, if he is the vine and we are the branches, any lasting joy that we hope to have comes from us being attached to Jesus, comes from us being attached to the true vine and having our lives linked to his. Okay, so just this past week was uh, my son's birthday. Shout out to Carson, nine years old. And one of the gifts that he got was a hammock, okay? A hammock that you hang up, um, as opposed to a hammock you don't hang up, right? Um, and so I'm, I've been busy just a little bit at a time clearing off this little place, this little grove, so that he could, could hang this hammock. And I've been lopping off limbs and, and branches and vines and that sort of thing. And, and you all know this. This is not anything new to you. But when you, when you cut off a branch, it's something that's alive, uh, when, when the branch falls to the ground, uh, the leaves are still green, right? They don't automatically turn brown. Um, the, the branch itself still is moist, Okay. None of that changes. I, I can go back the next day. The leaves are still green. I can feel the part where I cut. Okay, the, the xylem and the phloem are still intact. A little bit of earth science for you guys. You're welcome. Right? It, it takes a while before the leaves begin to die, begin, before they turn brown, before they begin to wilt, before the stick itself begins to get brittle to where you can break it, and then eventually it is left to nothing. Right? The benefits of that branch being connected to this tree are still there. 
Like they don't go away immediately, but over time it dries out. Over the time it wilts, it eventually deteriorates, right? Same concept. Uh, let's say that you're someone who is really fit, uh, you work out, you diet, you do all those things. I know that you look at me and say, Justin, what is your secret? Clearly you work out, no time for it, okay? But let's say that that's you. And, and you're committed to it. You've got your routine. Yes, you have rest days built into that. That's great. Um, you're not afraid to wear the tank top. Your motto is, okay, when the sun's out, how does it go? The guns are out. Well said, okay? Um, but let's pretend for a minute that you take a week off, that you just check out for a week. Odds are you're going to be the only person that notices that, okay? It's not going to change a whole lot. The benefits of you working out and dieting are still there. Like, you're still reaping some of those benefits. Maybe it's you the only one that's noticed. But what happens when you skip it for a month? Like, you haven't done it, you haven't dieted for a month, you haven't been working out for a month. Maybe those close to you are starting to pick up on it, okay? Maybe your wife, maybe your husband, maybe your kids notice that uh, it's affecting your mood a little bit. Maybe you don't have the energy that you did about a month ago. There's just something different. Now, what if that happens for two months? What if that happens for a year? Okay, all of a sudden, the guns are not as polished as they once were. Okay, if anything is, is greased, it's, it's your gut, right? It's all kind of gone to your gut. Your body has gone through this transformation. And so it, it's fascinating because when you, when you quit cold turkey, you still have some of those benefits of, of being connected to that routine. It doesn't go away immediately, but over time, as you, as you get away from that, your body changes, your mood changes, all of those things. And there, there are seasons in life where when we've turned away from the Lord, maybe we're the only ones that have noticed, right? But the longer you sever that relationship, the longer that you stay away from the true vine, other people start to notice, okay? And they notice because it comes out in a lot of different ways. It affects, it affects our body. It affects our mood. It affects uh, the things that we say. It affects the decisions that we make. It affects our life in so many different ways, it affects our joy, and in any, especially not just our joy, but any lasting joy that we really hope to have is, is empty, and it's not possible to be attained apart from the true vine, apart from the life and the joy that Jesus has for us, and that he reveals himself to be in John chapter 15. And so what Jesus lays out in this passage in particular is that we have our kind of joy and he has his kind of joy, right? He has his brand of joy, and his brand is a lot different than ours, okay? So if, if we could com, can do the simple comparison, Jesus' kind of joy is, is Coca-Cola. Our kind of joy is great value Sam's Cola, right? Uh, Jesus' kind of joy is, for those of you who grew up in the 90s, uh, the Game Boy. Our kind of joy is the Game Child, right? Ever heard of it? Probably not. There's a reason for that. Um, Jesus's kind of joy are double stuffed Oreos. Our kind of joy is cream betweens, right? Just a little cheaper. You get the idea. I can do this all day, right? Um, but, but our joy is, is a knockoff and a counterfeit to the kind of joy that Jesus has for us in him. So when we, when we abide in him, when we dwell in him, when we uh, connect our lives and link our lives to him, we experience that kind of joy. We experience the fullness of joy that he has promised us. And there are, folks, you know this, there's lots of things that make us happy, 
There's so many things that bring us joy and make us happy, uh, but anything that's not rooted in something that is eternal will either fail us or disappoint us in some way, right? Uh, so it, it's okay to have things and do things that make you happy. Like, don't hear me say that. Yes, you know, God wants us to have, to enjoy nice things and good things, um, but have you ever noticed that, that the thing that makes you happy often stops giving the same rate of return, Right, the thing that you were really geeked out about and excited about, it, it brought you a lot of joy and a lot of fun and a lot of pleasure the first time, and then maybe the second time, and then as you do that thing more, it starts to maybe even, dare I say, get old, right? Uh, because it, it just does. Like that new car that you buy, you go and you get that new car, it's still got the new car smell, the carpet in it is, is soft and plush and doesn't have a 10-year-old coffee stain just matted over in the passenger seat floorboard, right? Your seats not only can be heated and cooled, but they've got like their own ecosystem now that you can set on the dash. It doesn't have melted crayons and raisins in the cracks of your, of your seats and all these different things, just, just the wear and tear of having children, right? It, and it's great and it's nice to have a new car or a new truck, but that slowly begins, that newness slowly begins to wane, mainly when we start making those payments, right? Okay, if it isn't a car, it's, it's, it's a boat. It's some kind of recreational activity that we, we take our kids out on it. We take our families. We, we make memories uh, skiing and tubing. We go fishing, and all of that is fun, and there's, there's great memories to be made there. Uh, but it, it changes whenever we have to put that thing up for the wintertime. It's too cold to get on the, out on the water. It's too cold to uh, get up those early mornings to catch all of that crappie, even though we're counting on it on the, on the ninth. But even that slowly begins to lose some of uh, the joy and the happiness that it brought you. Vacations come to an end. Beach trips come to an end. Fall breaks, winter breaks, summer breaks. All of those things will eventually come to an end. Uh, that favorite author that you've been waiting for her book to release, you finally get to the epilogue and the story comes to an end. That favorite show that you've been binge watching for months now, you finally hit the series premiere, and the journey is over. That video game that you got on day one of release, you finally roll the credits on that thing. There's all of these things that we find so much joy in and, and things in life that bring us joy and make us happy. Um, but it's, it's those things, when they're spent and the happiness is gone, it, it kind of just bums us out, right? Like there's a phenomenon that happens to me every Saturday during college football season. Because what, what happens for me, and some of you know this, some, when, when my, my Arkansas Razorbacks take the field and, and they lose, like as much as I try for it to not let it bother me, um, it makes me sad. It, it bums me out. And, and the craziest thing, and, and everybody gets it, like the more that you attach yourself to something, if your team doesn't perform and they play it horribly, you, you're kind of sad, you're kind of bummed about it. But what's crazy for me is that even when they win, I have about 30 minutes where I'm happy. And I'll get online and see sort of what the talking sports heads are saying about it, how, what the stat lines were, did they set any records, all these things. After about 30 minutes, I come to the realization that I didn't play. I didn't go to the game. I'm not even in the state. I didn't even attend the University of Arkansas. Like, I had nothing to do with it. So whether we're in a win or in a loss, I'm sad. Like, it just makes me feel like I'm left out. So either way, 
I, I get disappointed. And so what, what it's made me realize is I have to be really careful that my heart isn't too attached to what a 19-year-old does with a ball on Saturday, right? And there's certain things that, that our happiness and our joy are linked to. And, and if you've ever found yourself, like your happiness fluctuating throughout the day, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, that, that one minute during the day you're happy, the next minute you're sad. One minute your energy's up, next minute your energy is low. If, if that is you, it's likely, it's likely that your joy is attached to something very temporary. Like, I, I know that I feel that way. I know that I feel, during my days, I'm up and down all the time. And one of those reasons is because I have a toddler. Okay? Now, I love that girl. She drives me crazy, but I love her. Um, but if my, if my ultimate joy rests in how she's doing, I'm in trouble. Right? So the truth is, is that we all, we all are slaves to happiness in some way. Like we're all driven by what makes us happy. Um, like we find that hobby, we find that thing that we're into, and we are all in. Right, because there are, there are hobbies out there that will take every dollar that you own. Um, I have a coworker who, whose father, an old coworker whose father, is a doomsday prepper. You guys ever see the show? Okay, um, if you know, that is a bottomless pit of money that you can put, that you can just dump stuff into. I mean, he, he's got arms stored up, he's got food, he's got powdered ranch dressing for the next 10 years, like, he's got batteries, all of this tech equipment. Like, it's, it's kind of fascinating, I'm kind of interested how that goes. Um, if we have any preppers in here, I am not, so save a slot for me and my family, okay? But, but that, that hobby is not done until you have a compound on 100 acres of land, underground bunker, and a minefield surrounding you, right? Like, I mean, that hobby can go on for days. And so for some of us, we, we get into things like that. Our hearts just long to be filled. Our hearts are desire factories, and, and we will not find rest until our hearts find rest, right? So that is our kind of joy, Right, sort of looking for the next thing that will make us happy. This is, this is the off-brand, this is the counterfeit kind of joy. So what is the joy that Jesus offers us? Like what, what's the real thing? How do we exactly, do we define that? And so um, I want to offer you a, a definition of joy that I think that will be helpful to us. There's the kind of joy that a normal everyday person can experience, but then there's the joy that we as Christians can, can embrace and that a unique kind of joy um, that we can live within our lives. And um, this was a definition that I came across in my reading, and it's a definition from a pastor and author named John Piper. And, and here is how he describes joy. He says that Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. So joy is a feeling, isn't it? It's an emotion. It's not so much an idea as it is an emotion. And the big difference in an idea and emotion is the way that you process it. So, for example, I know we've got some folks in here that, that went down to the beach recently. Let's say that I'm down in the Gulf and I'm, I'm a good ways out. I'm in the water. I'm about this deep into the water, kind of doing that thing where when the waves hit you, you kind of jump so that your head stays above the waves doing that whole thing. And let's say that I look out in the distance and I see come out of the water a fin right? Now, the way that that works is, I don't think to myself, oh, this could be a shark. Sharks are dangerous. 
they have teeth, they eat people. I, I should now begin the freak out mode. Like our thought, press, thought process doesn't work that way. Instead, we immediately say, there's a shark! And we instantly go from first to fifth into freak out mode and we try to get ourselves out of the water and we try to get everyone around us out of the water, right? That is a feeling, that is emotion, that is something that is instantly on us, right? And so the Bible is filled with commands of, of emotions and feelings that we should feel. Commands that we should do things that are immediately out of our control. Commands to rejoice, to fear, to be grateful, to be tender-hearted. And what we see is that the Bible asks us to do things that we are not always capable of doing right on the spot. Okay, St. Augustine once said this, one of the early church fathers, he said, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. In other words, God, if you want me to do something, give me the means to do it. Okay, you want me to achieve something, give me the ability to do it. If you want to, me to rejoice in you, okay, give me that joy. Give me that kind of joy I'm asking. If you want me to fear something, uh, show me that I should do that. Give me the means to do that. And so um, in this next line, so we, we see that it's a feeling, that these feelings of the soul are produced, but it's not under our own power, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit. You can leave that definition up there if you want to. But, um, but this is a feeling produced by the Holy Spirit, right? We can read in Galatians chapter 5 that it's the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things. So as Jesus is describing himself as the true vine in John 15, he is describing us as branches. We are to be fruitful. And the fruit that we produce are the fruits of the Spirit. So we know that it's the Holy Spirit that generates joy in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us joy. And in doing so, as we get into the Word, as we get into the Word of God, and as we look around in our world, we can see and marvel at the beauty and the wonder of Christ. And so Jesus tells us throughout different passages, and, and even the writer Paul in his letter to the Philippians, we are commanded in numerous places to Rejoice in the Lord. Take heart. Rejoice. Always be rejoicing. Um, I, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. It's hard for us to rejoice in someone that we don't know anything about. Right? And I'm sure many of you have a friend like this. That Have you ever been having a conversation with someone and you're trying to describe to, your, to this person your friend and something that he said? And they kind of look at you with this confused look on their face and what do you end up saying? It's like, well, you just have to know them. Like, you just, you just have to know Buddy. That's something Buddy would say. You have to know Charlie. That's just something Charlie would say. You have to know Justin. That's just something that Justin would say. Like, it, it's hard for us to rejoice in someone if we don't know who that person is. And, and, and the world on the outside of the church, those who are non-believers, those who want, don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ, they could look at, at you. They could look at the Christian, and they could ask you a lot of those questions, like, why, why, do, you, why do you give up your Sunday morning? Why do, you, why do you give to the church? Like, why do you sacrifice your money, sacrifice your weekend, sacrifice e even Wednesday night sometime? Why do you live this way? Like, what is it good for you to do all these moral things and try to live this, this squeaky clean moral life? And why do you forgive people and do all of these things? It, it's hard to explain but the best way that you can do it is, well, you just have to know Jesus. Like, you just have to know that he is worth it. You just have to know my God and, and experience what I've experienced. 
and had the interactions with him in his word that I've had. And so what Jesus wants to do in my life, in your life, is he wants to arrange this meeting. And he wants to introduce his joy to your joy and see which one you like better. Okay? His joy makes yours complete. Right? The partial nature, this incomplete, this wandering joy that we have, looking for something to fill us up and make us whole. His joy is the joy that fills that. His joy is not found in how we're feeling right at this moment. It's not contingent on our circumstances. If, if it was, I think we would all be in trouble. But, but he, his joy is a light, and it is the giver of immortal gladness that fills us with the light of day. And my prayer for us is that if you are longing for that joy, if you are in, searching of some, in search of something that is going to fill you the way that you are meant to be filled, you can find that okay, as a branch grafted into the true vine that is, that is Jesus Christ. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word. God, I thank you that, that you are the true vine. God, that we get our source of life from you. Um, that we, we have grace in our life because of you, that we have mercy in our life, that we, um, that we have an opportunity to discover true joy, true happiness in you. And so, Father, my prayer for us is that we would remain in you, uh, that we would see your glorious deeds in your word, that we would see your glorious deeds in this world that we live in, Father, that we would give you praise for it, and that, uh, and that we would lift our voices to you. So God, we have an opportunity to do that now as we come together and lift our voices to sing joyful, joyful we adore thee. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.